Welcome to Casting Hope, a sermon podcast of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Joe Hack, lead pastor at Hope, and we are so glad you're listening in wherever you are. In this moment of social distancing, we hope that our audio and streaming resources meet you where you are at and help you stay connected to God and to His promises. And we're turning in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 14. We're going to focus on verse 17 this morning, but it helps to have the whole, uh, the whole context of that verse instead of just reading that verse by itself. And so we'll start at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. Uh, This is the uh, second Sunday in Advent, and Advent means uh, arrival. It comes from the Latin word adventus, which means arrival. So in other words, Advent means God shows up. And so in the weeks that lead up to Christmas, we wait for God to show up. Like Israel of old, we wait. But unlike Israel of old, we are not waiting for Jesus' first coming, but we are waiting for his second coming when he makes all things New, And so Advent teaches us to wait. That's why we do this. As Christians, we are always waiting. Every single day, every single moment of our life is waiting. It's just that Advent is a time when we focus on our waiting. Uh, It's like how a band rehearses before a big show. They're always practicing. But before the big show, uh, a rehearsal is more intense. It's more intentional. And that's what we're doing during Advent. And one way we practice waiting is by paying attention to Jesus. Paying attention to our need for Jesus. Paying attention to Jesus' place in our life. And the Bible actually has a word for this. It's called behold. Whenever you see the word behold in the Bible, we are supposed to pay attention. The word behold is like smelling salt, in other words. It says what you are about to see or what you are about to hear is very important. Do not sleep through it. And so this Advent as a church, as hope, we are looking at passages of scripture that invite us to behold Jesus. Last week we looked at Mark 1 and this week we're going to look at Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth. And Paul tells them and he tells us to behold something about Jesus. What is it and why is it so very important? Why would Paul use the word behold? Why does he feel like he needs to rouse us? Why does he feel like he needs to awake us to something about Jesus? Well, let me read starting in verse 14. You can follow along as I read. We'll pray and we'll see why. This is God's word. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who, for their sake, died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Lord, would 
the words of my mouth and with the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. This is your word, God. Your word is powerful. It accomplishes what it sets out to do. It is living and it is active. So, Lord, there are two responses to your living and active word. Our hearts can be softened by it, transformed by it, or hardened. And, and Holy Spirit, would you soften our hearts? Would you mold them? Would you transform them? And it's in Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. Well, uh, some of you may have heard by now that we welcomed the new puppy into our home this past week. And to prepare for his, yeah, you heard that right. <laughs> I'll just stop for a second. Yes, that's true. Um, uh, to prepare for his coming, uh, for his homecoming, we really cleaned our house, like big time. Basically, we read in a training book, because that's what I do, I read about things, um, that a Lego, like a little Lego can kill a puppy. And so uh, there isn't a day that I don't step on a Lego in my house. And so that scared me straight. And so on Monday, we did a, basically a spring clean in the middle of winter. <laughs> uh, we even dusted under the bed. That's how uh, clean we got our house. And never has our house been so clean. We do these spring cleans every uh, year or so for different reasons. Our house um, is, is a pretty old house. It's not a very old house, but it's a pretty old house. And in a moment, like when we do these kinds of cleans for a brief moment, we actually feel like this old house is new again. But that feeling is fleeting. <laughs> Just a day after we did this clean, the house feels old again. It feels old again. Because with three boys and now a dog, uh, that new vibe, that, that fresh feeling doesn't last very long. Besides anything wrong with our house, if anything's wrong with our house, which there plenty is with an old house, if, you, if you've been in one, you know, it's still wrong, even if the house is clean. Josie and I, my wife, talk about this all the time. Every time we do a spring clean, we, we say to ourselves, what this house really needs is a total renovation. I long for a total renovation in more ways than just uh, this house. I long for a total renovation in all of my life. Sometimes everything in my life, uh, I want to just be made new again. My relationships to God and to others, I want them renovated. Even my relationship to myself, I want renovated. I look at the world around me. I look at the world outside of me. And I long for a flourishing society that is not vandalized by sin. I want total renovation on the inside. I want total renovation on the outside. But too often, like my house, what I do is I settle for a surface clean. It feels good in the moment, but it is temporary. What do I mean? I, when I settle for a surface clean in my life, it's when I try to manufacture a clean feeling with my own efforts. I look to new things to sort of fool me into thinking that real newness is happening in my life, in the old areas of my life, in the areas I want renovation. And so I look to new workouts. I look to new purchases. I look to new books. I look to new ventures. I look to new hobbies. For what? For a sense 
of newness. I think all of us do this to some extent. We long for renovation. Just think for a moment of all the areas in which you long for renovation. But what happens? We settle for a surface cleaning, don't we? I recently converted the corner of my uh, detached garage into my office. I spent like a whole day and a half um, doing a deep clean of the garage, hanging my favorite pictures around my my desk. Um, But the funny thing is, is no matter how, how hard I scrubbed the floor, no matter how hard I cleaned the area, there is still a giant crack running through the wall. A surface cleaning does not fix what is broken. We long for total renovation. But when we settle for a a surface cleaning, what we're doing is as if we're dusting like a broken TV. It's as if we're waxing a car without a transmission. And so what should we do with our longing for total renovation? That's the question I'm going to ask this morning on the second week of Advent. What do we do with our longing for renovation in our lives? I want to suggest we stop with settling for surface cleanings, whatever that is for you. And I want to suggest that we look to what we just read in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Because there Paul tells us to behold. He tells us to pay attention to what? To the new. He tells, he tells us to pay attention to the new. The new has come. He says, behold, the new has come. Now, it's interesting. There are two words for new in Greek. There's neos, which means brand new. And there's kainos, which means renewed. Paul uses the word kainos here. Paul is saying that in Christ, there is total renewal or total renovation. I'm so struck by this that I even wanted to name our our new dog Kainos. Call him Kai for short. Kainos means God does not give up on you. He doesn't start over with someone else because that would be Naos. No, no. God completely renovates you as you were created to be. That's Kainos. And on a bigger scale, kainos, new, the way Paul is using it, means that God does not scrap this creation that he made. He doesn't just start over. That would be naos. No, he completely renovates his creation. This creation that he made and this creation that he loves. Verse 17, Paul says, behold, the kainos has come. True renovation, true renewal is here. You don't have to settle for a surface cleaning anymore. That longing you have for renewal, for restoration, for newness, that longing you have is here. It's here, Paul says. How so? Well, back up a few Words. Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, the way to be kainos new, renewed, restored, renovated, is to be found in Christ. That small prepositional phrase, in Christ, is easy to skip over, but it means everything. 
It's how the Bible describes a follower of Jesus. Did you know the word Christian only shows up three times in the New Testament? But the simple phrase in Christ shows up, I learned this week, 164 times in just Paul's letters. In Christ. I love how John Stott says it. I'm quoting him. To be in Christ does not mean to be inside Christ like tools are in a box or our clothes are in a closet. But to be organically united to Christ as a limb is in the body or a branch is in the tree. And it is this personal relationship with Christ that is the distinctive mark of his authentic followers. If you have a personal relationship with Christ, the language Paul uses there is in Christ. If you are in Christ, Paul says, you don't have to settle for surface cleaning because you are in Christ. And with Christ comes complete renovation. He is the risen one. He brings complete renovation. And in two ways I want to explore on a deeper level this morning. Number one, Jesus renovates his people. And number two, Jesus renovates his creation. Both are true and both are worth thinking on this Advent. If you're in Christ, you are personally renovated. We know this because Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, anyone. Now, because Jesus came into the world, Paul is saying, because this happened, because Jesus' first advent, because Jesus' death, because of his resurrection, which he talks about in the following, in the verses preceding, he says, therefore, if anyone, and Paul means anyone, by the way, Paul himself was a persecutor, a violent persecutor of the church. So anyone can have this new life. Anyone. In Christ. And what does this new life or this renovation look like? Well, first of all, it's a new perspective on your past. Look further up at verses 14 through 15 with me. Paul says, For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who might live no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Paul had a new perspective on his past. His old self was as good as dead. That's how he views his past. One scholar says about Paul, the past was dead to him. As dead as Christ on a cross. All its ideas, all its hopes, all its ambitions were dead in Christ. He was another man in another universe. Does your past haunt you? Do you have regrets? Well, that person can be another person in another universe if you trust Jesus today. And if you already do trust Jesus, that person, your sinful self, was nailed on the cross with Jesus. That's Paul's argument. You have a new perspective on your past. Jesus also gives you a new perspective On your present. Verse 16, if you take a look down, he says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no 
longer. Paul has a from now on perspective because of Jesus' coming. He no longer looks at his brothers and sisters in Christ in the church as mere humans, but as new creations, new creatures. In Christ, Paul has a resurrection perspective with everybody in the church. Jesus changes the way that we look at each other. In Ephesians, Paul calls the church a new humanity, a new way to be human. And that should change the way that we view each other and treat each other, not fundamentally with worldly categories, not with us-them categories, but in Christ. In Christ. Either out of Christ or in Christ. And Paul is saying today, if you are in Christ, you have a new perspective on your brothers and sisters who are also in Christ. And then Jesus gives you a new perspective on your future. Your past, your present, and finally, your future. We can expect on the basis of this verse, verse 17, that our ultimate future is nothing short of complete and total renovation in not just soul, but body. Body and soul. Resurrection, in other words, is not just a metaphor. Resurrection is a reality. In his first letter to the Corinthians, Paul says in verse 15, uh, chapter 15, verse 13, if there is no resurrection, I want you to listen to this. I'm going to slow this down because this is Paul's uh, heartbeat. He says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised, he says. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Do you see it? Paul is arguing with the centrality of the resurrection of the dead. In death, our soul and our body are torn asunder. It was never meant to be that way. But all Orthodox Christians confess, I believe in what? I believe in the resurrection of the dead. Which means our souls will at Christ's return be reunited with our bodies. Bodies that will be totally renovated. Jesus gives us a brand new perspective on our future. That is our ultimate future if you are in Christ. New creation. I love how retired pastor Ray Orland puts it. He has a gospel mantra for his life. It's three simple statements. Number one, I am a complete idiot. Number two, my future is incredibly bright. And number three, anyone, anyone can get in on this. Remember, if anyone is in Christ, have you thought you were out of bounds for Jesus? Have you ever asked, why would Jesus have me? Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, and that anyone can include you, all you have to do is come to Jesus with empty hands of faith and lay hold of him. Turning from your way of life, turning from your sin, and instead, grasping his mercy, grasping his goodness, grasping his grace, grasping all that he came to do. And in this verse, we see 
is summarized as this. New creation. Behold, the new has come, the old is passed away. Sometimes you see me uh, playing guitar during worship. I actually bought that guitar in middle school. So that guitar is more than 25 years old. Uh, But it sounds like the day I bought it. In fact, actually, I would even argue it sounds better than the day I bought it. But that might not have been true because about 10 years ago, I was on the fence. I was actually uh, thinking about selling this guitar and replacing this guitar. But a friend persuaded me to take it to a luthier. Now, a luthier is a guitar, uh, basically a a guitar artisan uh, who not only builds guitars, but also renovates broken and old guitars. And that's what this luthier did. He renovated my guitar. God doesn't give up on you. He doesn't sell you. He doesn't put you in the garage sale. He doesn't put you on Craigslist to start with someone different. No, no. In salvation, God makes you new. He refurbishes you. So don't seek to renew yourself. And don't give up on God's grace. Behold, you are already new creation in Jesus. The dignity there. Behold, the peace that's there. The rest that's there. But here's the thing. Jesus not only renovates his people, he actually renovates his whole creation. In verse 17, Paul literally says, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. He just uses two words, new creation. Paul never uses this word creation in reference to to humans in any other place in the New Testament. Uh, He's using, uh, when he uses the word creation, like he does here in verse 17, he's usually referring to, well, Creation. He's referring to God's creation. So is Paul confused? One minute he's saying anyone. The next minute he's saying creation. So what gives? What is Paul doing? No, I think what he's doing is he's seeing our personal renovation as part of the renovation of his entire creation. God not only renovates his people, but he renovates his creation for his people. In other words, God is making all things new. He's creating a new heavens and a new earth, not a brand new heavens and not a brand new earth, a renewed heavens and earth in which his people, all who are in Christ, will dwell. It's amazing. Jesus not only makes us new, but his creation. If God made the world good and we vandalized it with our sin, This verse tells us that Jesus fixes it. He renovates it. He makes it kainos new. God promises in the Old Testament. Listen to Isaiah 65, 17. For behold, I create new heavens and new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Again, this is not a start over heavens and earth. This is a renewed heavens and earth. So just turn to Romans 8 with me. Romans 8, verse 19. In Romans 8, verse 19, Paul says, The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope 
that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the, listen to this, the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. You see, when God made the world, he made humans to be stewards of the world, to be vice regents of the world, to rule in a good way, in a stewardship way, in a, in a, in a way that God rules which is a benevolent rule. And in our sin, we, we messed it up. And Paul's saying in Romans 8 that the, the, that the non-human creation is groaning because of our poor stewardship. It's groaning. And it's longing for the day of what? Our resurrection. Why? Because when we are resurrected, when we are renovated, the creation too will be set free from its groaning. And the creation will be set in place and in order. The vandalism removed. God restoring and refurbishing and, yes, renovating all that he made. And, and his people placed in it. As a kid, I was uh, really into David Copperfield, uh, the illusionist, not the Charles Dickens novel. <laughs> uh, big difference there. Uh, I would tape record his shows and I would watch them over and over and over again. And I remember thinking about uh, the miracles of Jesus in church as a kind of magic show. I remember thinking uh, that Jesus must do miracles as a way to sort of show off. Like a magic show. But that's not really accurate. Jesus performed miracles in his earthly ministry to to show the world that as God in flesh, he is making all things new. When he healed, what he was doing is he was previewing for us the new heavens and the new earth. When he made Lazarus come back, he was previewing a total renovation of this world. Jesus is like a luthier, not a Craigslist salesperson. He's like a luthier, except his craft is not guitars, but all that he has made. Revelation 21.5 says, And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Now let's remember that what Paul's talking about here is people coming into a relationship with Jesus. And that's what needs to happen. This is for anyone who is in Christ. And so it's an invitation. And if it's true, if it's true, this has massive implications for your life. Are you in Christ? Do you see the stakes are high? What's keeping you from coming to Christ? When this promise, this longing for renovation is in your heart, find it in Jesus. And what's keeping you from finding it in Jesus? This new heavens and this new earth for all who are in Christ, what is keeping you from coming to Christ right now? What is keeping you from this? This is too good, in some senses, uh, for you to, to withhold from, to stand back from. Come to Him this morning. This has massive implications for your life. For instance, uh, Christians have been accused of being too heavenly minded uh, for any earthly good. But if, if Jesus stands to, to, to renew his creation, then cre if creation stands to be renovated, then we must care for it. If Jesus brings total renewal to his creation, our mundane jobs suddenly matter a lot more to him. What we do day in and day out matters a lot more. 
Jesus renovates his people and he renovates his creation. Now, some of you might be thinking right now, my life sure doesn't look or feel this way. Newness is not the word I would use to describe my life right now. What I see is the brokenness. My life and the world around me still plays like a broken guitar. And here's the thing. You would be right. This isn't the only thing that Paul says about renovation. Paul says that right now we see as through a glass dimly. Paul has so much to say in his letters about how things are not yet how Jesus promises them to be. And so there's a tension. On the one hand, we are right this very moment, new creation. Paul says it right here. But on the other hand, we wait for it to be fully realized. Some have called this the already, not yet, tension in the Christian life. The already, not yet, tension in the Christian life. We are already new creation in Christ. But we are also not yet fully experiencing that. When I turn on my kitchen lights in the morning, there is a slight delay from the time the switch goes up and when the light comes on. The, the, the switch is on, but the light isn't yet. That's, that space is where Christians live today. That space between the, the switch being flipped and the light turning on in its fullness when we experience the fullness of that light. The switch is on, but until Jesus returns, there will be dark. But listen, the dark doesn't win. The dark is being skirted away even as we speak right now. And so the trick in the Christian life is getting used to this tension and make sure that we give each its proper weight. If you only think about the not yet in your life, what's broken, you will get discouraged easily. But if you only think about the already, what's declared true, you might become too triumphalistic. Advent is typically a season where we emphasize the not yet in the Christian life. But Paul would have us behold what is already. We need to hold both intention, especially during Advent. Advent is a time where we recognize the brokenness and we long for the renewal and the restoration of all things. But as we do that, as we do that, behold, the new has come. You stand right now, if you are in Christ, as new creation. As my friend put it about 10 years ago, if you are in Christ, it's as if you are a chunk of, of new creation floating in this decaying and dying world. It's as if time travel has happened. Your future resurrection self is by the Holy Spirit being sort of time traveled into the present so that you can live today a resurrection life. Sin, in other words, has no power over you anymore. Its penalty has been exhausted by Jesus on the cross. Its power has been uh, completely eliminated by the, by the cross. We still are, are harangued by its presence. 
But you are new creation, so you are, in a sense, uh, walking as, as a preview, just like Jesus' miracles in this dead and decaying world. And I think it's great for us during this Advent, if hope as a church, if we, if we focused on the already of new creation, what Jesus brought on his first Advent, so that as we wait for his return, we don't despair, but we have hope. We do have hope. Jesus renovates his people and his world. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for this promise of new creation. Behold, the old has passed away and the new has come. Would we wake up to that reality? Would it encourage us, Lord, now? Lord, if we're longing for renovation and we don't have it and we're tired of our surface cleaning efforts and maybe we've never come to Jesus, I pray, Lord, that that would happen now. That we would find our renovation in you, oh Jesus. And it's in your name we pray this. Thanks for tuning in. For more information about our church and for more resources like this, visit our website at hopechurchcolumbus.org.